0: While you're turning, let me say how thankful that we are, that you're here this evening. If you count yourself a visitor, perhaps this is the first time that you've been here this week, maybe the first time in your life. We want you to know that you are welcome, that we are so thankful you're here. We want you to come back and invite you to come back at every opportunity. This meeting is quickly going by, and uh, it's just been one of the greatest pleasures of my life and I just enjoy meeting with brethren and with worshiping this has been such a spiritually uplifting meeting for me Now I hope it uh, has helped you and that you've been edified up to this point Uh, our singing is just over the top thank all of these young uh, people for coming and participating in this meeting thank you for Ty and for the work that he's doing Uh, such a pleasure to be with Ty and Lisa this week it's been just been wonderful so far it's not over yet not over we have kind of uh, adopted a little theme and and I really didn't have any intention of that but the tenor of the uh, song service and Uh, What we've been speaking about has all gone together, and I think it's really the theme of our life as Christians, and that's glorifying God. And we have been trying to do that this week, magnifying Him and lifting Him up as God, only Him. We have one God. There is no other, and there's none like Him. And we try to glorify Him. We glorified Him in song, And hopefully we're glorifying him in our study this evening. You think about what we've been talking about this week. We've talked about our responsibilities in the local church. And our responsibilities to each other in glorifying God. We've talked about the Holy Spirit and the spirit of grace. And we've talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit is that agent within us that is our seal of our salvation and our redemption. And God gives us that part of himself. And he is a person. He has emotions and he can grieve over us and grieve over the loss. We've talked about uh, our role in being thankful and not worrying about stuff. My goodness, if God is God and we believe he is, and he's true, and we believe he is, And he's faithful and we know he is. Then we can have a victorious life if we learn to live that way. Tonight I want to talk to you about something that probably you have experienced recently in your life. And probably some of you may have uh, had this issue all of your life. And that's fear. I met a young lady this summer... And she talked to me about some of the issues that she's facing. And one of those issues that she is facing is fear. She said, Mark, she said, I can't hear a siren anymore. She said, without being afraid and having a fear. I mean, we hear uh, terms, you know, like active shooter. We hear all of these terms and all of these things and we live, if we're not careful, concentrating on those things and losing our grasp on what is really necessary to function in this life. And we end up living in fear. And a type of fear. I, wanna, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that if anybody ever had a reason to fear, it would be these people. And I'll explain as we go along. Deuteronomy 9, verses 1 through 3. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go in and dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities great and fortified up to heaven. Think about that. Now, this word dispossess means uh, take that possession away from them. You take it away. And God gives the command to Israel to go in and take this nation away. And there are people that's greater and mightier than you. How much so? Verse 2 says, A people great and tall, the descendants of Anakim, whom you know, and of whom you heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Adak? Now the descendants of Anakim were giants, Literally. Now, I'm not talking about Shaquille O'Neal giant. (laughs) They were giants. Something you may have found, maybe you haven't, because it's not that uh, they don't want it known too much, but they have found skeletal remains of, of people who were 14, 15 feet tall. And these people were not birth defect people. They were real. East Tennessee, they found a a group of skeletons like that, according to my source, and I'll leave it at that. My point is, is that giants existed, and we know they existed. Now, I want you to imagine, if you can, a 14-foot-tall man, and he's proportional. And he's a skilled fighter, and you've got to go in and fight him. There would be no contest, would there? None of us could do that. Shaquille O'Neal could couldn't take him, and Shaquille O'Neal's I think seven-two. These people were commanded to go into these people who were giants, greater and mightier, the Scripture says, with cities fortified up. And they had to go in and fight these people. And to try to take that over. Because why? Because God said to. And this was the command. Verse 3 says, Therefore understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. I want you to notice that. God didn't command these people to go in alone. He said, I'll go before you. And I'll go as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you. Who will destroy them? God will destroy them. And she'll drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you. God never expects us to go in on our own strength and do anything. Especially when it comes to salvation. Where did we ever get the idea that we had any strength to do that? I could live for the rest of my life trying to be perfect and for the rest of my life I would be imperfect because I am already imperfect. The first sin that I ever committed put me into imperfection and it put me in as an estrangement from God. It separated me from God, that first sin. I don't even remember my first sin, do you? I do remember where I was and at the time Exactly the place where I was, where I realized that I'm not right with God. And I believe that we can all realize that. We need to come to that realization. And come to realize that when we're not right with God, there's nothing we can do to change that situation except obey Him. And come to Him. And allow him to clean us and forgive us and to justify us. But we have to come to him. These people were commanded to go over and take this city. God said, I'll go before you. If they refused to go, well, that's another story altogether and another sermon altogether. But they went and they were successful because God went before them. I had this list up the other night when we talked about worry. Another major concern for us is fear and discouragement. Uh, I think that we've all experienced fear and discouragement. I think we know what fear is all about. And I've seen people that had fear to the point that it really caused them great problems in their life. There was a young lady at our congregation back home that there was a time in her life that she would call me and say, Mark, can you come over? She said, I'm afraid of the tornado. Afraid of the tornado. I went over there several on several occasions, and she said, Mark, pray with me. I'm afraid of the tornado. I said, it's sun shining outside. But they've got a tornado warning and a tornado Watch. And she would be hiding in the bedroom. Now, I'm telling you, that's the captivity that fear puts us in. And she had a real struggle with that. And I'd pray with her. And she would weep and she would carry on. Eventually she decided she couldn't live that way. I'm so thankful that she has. And she had to go on with her life. But I'm not exaggerating one ounce when I'm telling you what happened. And you may have known people that had phobias to that extent. Sometimes uh, they they such a phobia that, they, that we can't get out in public. I've met people that can't leave their home. Those type of phobias are a real problem. And I'm not here to criticize anybody with a phobia to that extent. I'm not. And I'm not a psychologist, and I'm not trying to tell you that you are uh, some bad person for having those phobias. I'm not trying to do that at all. I just want you to know that when you're in the hand of God, you don't have to be afraid. If you are in His hand, you don't have to be afraid. There is no safer place in the world than to be in the will of God. No safer. And if you're struggling tonight with fear and discouragement in your life, I want to talk to you for a few minutes. There is a fear that is natural. We are human beings. We have emotions, and fear is one of those emotions. Why the Apostle Paul even talks about, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. That comes from the Greek word phobos. That word is uh, means to alarm, to be afraid, exceedingly fear, even to the point of terror. That word can be used for that. That is a different word than the fear that we're going to discuss this evening. I want you to know that it's natural for you to have some fear, and fear is a good thing in a good circumstance, and it can keep you safe. It can keep me off the roof of a house (laughs) where I won't fall. It can keep you from driving too fast. All of those things, this alarm. Here the Apostle Paul said he experienced that, and we've all experienced that phobos, that type of fear, and that is a good fear, and it's a fear that is natural. First John four and eighteen says, There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. There is a fear that creates a torment. We've all experienced that and tormented by fear in one form or another or discouragement. 2 Corinthians 11 and 3 says, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Here the Apostle Paul is expressing alarm or concern. That is a fear that is good. If we did not have alarm or concern, then we might fall off into things like what Paul is concerned about. And that's that our minds should be corrupted and and turned from the simplicity that is in Christ. So many people have lost that fear. And they're not concerned. There is a fear, however, that is of the utmost that we need to embrace. And I'm here to tell you that God, you should fear. But not in Phobos. Not in terror. Not in alarm. I ask uh, a fellow... Do y'all have trouble with sin where you go to church? (laughs) Do you have trouble with some of the carnal sins where you go to church? What would be your answer? (laughs) Why sure we do. And the carnal sins, the sins of the flesh, like fornication, adultery, lasciviousness, those type of sins, what, is, what causes that? And I asked him. He was a neighbor, he was a good friend and in a lot of respects. Different set of values as far as theology concerns. But I respected his conservative lifestyle, so I asked him these questions. And I wanted to see what he said. What would you say? Why is that? Why do we face those issues? And I thought his answer was one of a simplicity and one that was pointed. And I want to share it with you tonight. And I believe you'll agree with me uh, if you have thought about it to any extent. He said, the reason why people fall off into those things is they do not fear God. And I believe that. There is a fear that is healthy. The fear that keeps me off rooftops. The fear that keeps me from going 120 miles an hour on the interstate. Those are healthy fears. But I'm going to tell you, when you don't fear God, anything can happen. Anything. And we're living in a society today that does not fear God. And because they don't fear God, then it's like me getting on a rooftop. Or me going 120 miles an hour on the interstate. Anything can happen. First Peter 2:17 says, "Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Fear God. A command is given to us to fear God. This word comes from the Greek word Fabio, and it means to frighten, to be alarmed by a analogy, to be in awe of. Oh, now we're getting understanding. Of the fear that we need to have, we need to be in awe of God. Remember Isaiah's uh, vision that he saw, and the angels cry, "Holy, holy, holy," when they were in awe of God. And here are these magnificent beings with these great angelic wings and the lights. And they look at God and they see God and they say, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't need to be here. That's being in awe of God. We've said it a dozen times, I guess, this week so far. God is God and you're not. And I'm not God. We need to be in awe and respect and reverence of God. We need to fear Him in that respect and in that way. Psalms 115, 13 says, He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. Blessings come from those that fear God. It's promised that blessings will come that, to those that fear God. Luke 12 and 5 says, But I will, be fo- I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Who? Fear him, which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say it. You fear him. He didn't tell us to fear man. He told us to fear God. God holds our soul. He has the ability to cast us into into hell. I've never met yet, uh, yet met uh, an individual that had any Bible knowledge of all that didn't have a fear of hell. Not really. When you sit down and think about it and think about being in, in what the Bible calls eternal death and everlasting death as far away from God as you could possibly be in total darkness and in torment, who would not be afraid of that? I want to tell you, I, I kind of fear. It. Going under a knife in an operation, and they're trying to help me. I was put to sleep to work on my shoulder two or three years ago, and they, before they uh, before they put me to sleep, and they're wheeling me back into the operating room, and I looked up at this doctor that was doing that, and I said, uh, "You graduated college, did not you?" I did. I'm serious. I did. I don't know if they'd given me something, but and he said yes. I said, "At what rank in your class?" <laughs> we we fear that. I said, "You've had plenty of experience with this." You? And I went through. I grilled him until they put me under. I was not happy about being put to sleep and put be put in the hands of another individual. I was not happy about that. We fear those things. We're afraid to die, scared to live, but we don't fear God. We need to reverence Him above all. Every moment of our life, every day of our life, and every action of our life, we fear God. Fear is something that distorts God's plans. What kind of fear? It's certainly not the fear where we hold God in reverence and in awe, but there's another type of fear that I want to talk to you that I believe that afflicts the church today and afflicts individuals. 1 Timothy 2 and 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. That comes from a Greek word pronounced dylea, I guess. And that means timidity or fear. To be timid. You and I, we can be bold. We can be bold in our language and in our speech if we're reverencing and giving God the glory for everything. We don't have to be Timid. This type of fear is the fear that distorts God's plans for you and for me. Matthew 14, verses 26 through 33, I want to show you an example of this timidity and the fear that changes uh, our life for the worse and takes us away from God. This is a story about Peter. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, and saying, Be of good cheer. Do not be afraid. Why? Because <laughs> it's God. We don't have to be afraid of it. C.S. Lewis said there's two things that people fear the most in their life. He said they fear a ghost and a dead person. Neither one of them can hurt you. And there's some truth to that. A lot of truth to it. So here they are. They're thinking that this is some kind of apparition that they don't understand. And Jesus says, be afraid. Be afraid. You don't be afraid. You're out here in the middle of a storm and in the trouble of your life. Don't be afraid. It's, it's me. God comes to you and he says, don't be afraid. It's me. I can take care of this. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer It is I do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, if you are who you say you are, command me to come to you on the water. Now, Peter understood something about God, and I believe the phraseology in this passage is for a purpose, and I believe God had an intent to show us something in this passage, and a whole lot more than I can see, and I will concede that, but I do see this. is Peter understood that if God made a command, then it would be carried out. So Peter says, don't not allow me to come to you. Command me to come to you. Because if you command me and you're God, and I believe you are at this point, I'm going to hold you in awe and reverence because you're God and your commands are really all that matters. And if you'll command me, then I can come and I'll walk on the water to you. So Jesus gave a command. He said, come. You know that's the word Jesus uses to you tonight. Come. That's that's the invitation. It's the invitation for all of us. That's the invitation that we use and that we're told to tell. Come see a man. Come and see. Examine this for yourself. God is God. Come. Come. And when Peter came down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. A magnificent moment in Peter's life. Tomorrow night, I want us to do a uh, sketch of Peter's life. I want, to, and we will discuss primarily conversion. But at this point, this is a high point in Peter's life. A moment in his three-year ministry with Jesus that cannot be compared. He's out of the boat, walking on the water because he followed a command. He held Jesus in reverence and in awe. But, there's always a but. When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, the trouble all around, the things that are naturally going to make us concerned, the things that that could take our life. But, when he saw those, he was afraid. This word, phobo, that is used there, you can look it up, afraid, means reverence. It's the same word, Is fear of God. Hold God in reverence. What did Peter do? The object of Peter's reverence here was not God. But the object of Peter's reverence was the material carnal forces around him, and he gave reverence to the boisterous wind and the tumultuous waves. He gave that kind of reverence to that. And when that happened, you know what happened. Peter began to sink. Jesus says, come. And we look about. And we try to make a decision of whether or not to come to Jesus. And we see all the trouble in the world. And we start asking questions like, look at all this trouble. If God is who he says he is, why is there all this trouble? Well, I've been asked that a hundred times. Why do good men suffer if God is who he says he is? I lost a nephew when the child was two years old. My sister was 18 years old and had this baby. He had open heart surgery and his whole life was troubled. And I would have people ask me, do you really believe that God, is he involved in that? And we look at all these things and we give reverence to those things rather than to the God of glory. To Jesus who can save us. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, "O you of little faith, why did you doubt? This doubt here is a we all we have read it many many times, and I know you have. This doubt here is really is why did you fear? Why are you giving things to reverence that instead of me, I'm God? Why are you holding these things up as supreme in your life? I'm God. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. You see, when Jesus is there, our troubles and all, even though they might could destroy us if we're not in the hand of Jesus, if we give awe and reverence to him, our storms and our life could be managed. They're not taken away. Everybody has trouble. But they can be managed because we've got a a supreme manager, one who is God. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly. You are the Son of God. Once again, the reverence is given where it's deserved. Deuteronomy 1, verses 19 and 20. And I said unto you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be discouraged. Why? Because God has given a command. And every time the children of Israel followed that command, every time they came through victoriously. And I want to tell you this evening, if you'll follow the commands of God, you too will come through victoriously. And even though the giants in your life and the things that seem to be able to swallow you up, God is bigger than those things. He's bigger than the sin that afflicts you. He's bigger than the guilty conscience. He's bigger than the shame that you've experienced. He's bigger. Do not fear nor be discouraged, God says. Why? Because you're following His commands. Revelation 21 and 8 has an interesting passage about timidity or a lack of boldness that there's going to be a day when this fear is going to be passed judgment on. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. This word is Dilos, the fearful, and it means faithless, fearful. If we live our life like Peter and giving awe to the things of the world, giving reverence to the material things, we too will sink. And in the end, we will be judged for it. Because it is a lack of faith and it is a lack of confidence in God. I'm not talking about the natural fears and I'm not talking about the healthy fears that God has given us to protect us. I'm talking about reverencing and giving awe and glory to God. 2 Timothy 1 and 7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. Notice what Romans 8, 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Many of us, and we discussed this briefly last night, talking about loss, but many people, their greatest fear in life is they're going to lose a little money. Jesus says in Luke 12, verse 23, The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Your life consists more of that. In other words, do not give awe and reverence, to the material things of this world. They're all temporary. They're all going to vanish and all going to be gone away. And in the end, at the end of your life, the basket that you've tried to fill up is still nothing but an empty hole. And you can't carry anything in it. And if we live our life having a fear of a loss of a little money to the point that we can't worship God and give reverence to Him and awe to Him that He deserves, we will stand with that group in Revelation 21. I find this interesting because I run into a lot of people, and I've experienced some of it myself in my life, about, you know, inheritance. Uh, Seems like when somebody dies in the family, then the concern over an inheritance starts uh, flowing through the family. And sometimes, I've seen it where it tore families completely apart. And I've seen it where people left the church over it because they'd felt disenfranchised and they'd been done wrong because they'd lost a little money. And they were afraid of that and somebody got something that somebody else didn't get. I was at an auction one time, and this is the truth, and I saw two sisters arguing over mama and daddy's bed, and it went for $18,000 for a bed that was just a bed. And then I read something like this, and I see how foolish we are. Luke twelve thirteen, and one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge over divider over you? I'm not concerned with these fleshly affairs. God's concerned with your soul. He don't care how much money you got. He don't need it. Then we look at people in third world countries and we see them and sometimes we become pompous and proud and think we're better than them. According to this, Jesus is not concerned with our material affairs and how much money you've got. Now, trust me, I know and I understand that money is a power, and it is a power that can be used for good. And I applaud you if you're using your money for good. And we have a lot of instruction about that. In this case, this boy was concerned about an inheritance, and he comes to Jesus thinking that Jesus can... Uh, Solve this whole problem in taking a material concern to the Lord of Lords, and He said unto them, "Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth." Jesus used this moment with this fellow concerned about his inheritance as a teaching moment for us. Don't be covetous. Don't worry about it. Don't be afraid you're going to lose something. These material blessings are all going to vanish anyway. Live your life upright, fearing God, because life consists more of what a man possesses. Mark 4, verse 35, the Scripture says, In the same day when even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. I want you to get that picture. And there arose a great storm. A storm of wind and waves and beat to the ship so that it was now full. And when he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow, they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Does that sound like you? You're in a storm in your life? You concerned about the salvation of the flesh? I mean, it's really that simple. So many of us are so concerned about the salvation of the flesh and we'll do anything to save our flesh. And then we look at the Lord of Lords and say, don't you care that we're dying Why wasn't Jesus concerned? Have you ever considered that? Other than the fact that it was uh, a fleshly concern of salvation of the flesh. Why wasn't he concerned about this? Why, why? I want to show you something. Go back to the first verse. The same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over to the other side. Let us pass over to the other side. Remember who's talking. It's not a a seaship captain. It's not a sailor. It's God. Let us pass over to the other side. Lord, command me to come to Thee on the water. If If You are God, and I believe You are, Command me. And I can walk on water. And now Jesus says, Let us pass over to the other side. I want want to tell you something. There's so many people here tonight, possibly. I don't know your heart. That's the reason why I say possibly. But you've lived in fear of salvation, you fear of losing your soul. You've really had a concern about it. But I want to tell you if Jesus commands us and we follow in His commands, He has told us, brethren, we're going to pass over to the other side. The reason Jesus was not worried, nor was He fearful, is because He said, Let us go to the other side. He knew they were going to make it, He's God. We want to distort God's plan for us by looking at the things that are going on in our life and saying I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if God really can save somebody like me. I don't I don't know and I fear. I fear for loss of life or I fear for loss of money or I fear I fear I fear and God has said we're going to the other side, brethren. We're going to the other side. (laughs) I'm so thankful for that. And I'm thankful that I finally saw this in my life because it is not the spirit of fear. Now, if you're concerned and you're fearful and you're giving reverence to the flesh, then you have reason to fear. It's not the fear that's going to save you. The fear that's going to save you is the fear of God Because he holds everything, and his word is true. And he's God, and you need to glorify him as God. Let us go to the other side. Let's go. (laughs) If we're with Jesus, we can go to the other side. Matthew 10, 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. I read a story of a martyr. There's many martyrs in the past few hundred years, thousand years. But I read this particular story of a martyr, and it stuck with me. It was about 18 when I read it. And he was getting ready to be killed. And his church brother, his church brother come to him. And he made a statement to him. He said, You must live. You must live. And his reply was, Must I. Must I. And he went into martyrdom because he give reverence and awe to God and would not deny him as Lord. Oh, for the courage. For the devotion to our, our, our Lord that you and I can muster that type of courage. That we can dispel the fear of the flesh. And that we can hold God in reverence and in awe and understand when his command happens, when it is given, it is something that is sure to happen. God cannot lie. He cannot lie. And he is faithful and true because he is promised. Many people have a fear of death. We talked a little bit about this last night and our grieving and our sorrow. But the fear is real. Many people, nobody wants to die. But we all know we're going to it. But you and I can go to our death without fear if we know the one who holds death and holds the key to death and has overcome death and has the power to resurrect us. We can do that. But you can't do it unless you reverence him, unless you hold him in awe. Our God is an awesome God. Let's reverence him as such. Many of us have a fear of failure. Nobody wants to fail. The parable of the talents, Matthew 25, verse 24, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee, that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. I was afraid. What was he afraid of? He was afraid of failing. And his failure, or his fear of failure, caused him to do nothing. Fear is paralyzing. It will cause you to do nothing. I was very good friends with a man who fought in World War II and he told me, he said, when the artillery shells start falling all around you, and he said, you've dug into a foxhole, he experienced that. He fought in the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. He fought in the Battle of the Ardennes. He fought in the Battle of Normandy. He fought in the Battle of Liberation of France. He was highly decorated. And he told me, he said, when the bombs start falling around you, and you're in that artillery, or that p- p- foxhole, he said, you know what the first thing you do? I said, pray. Pray. <laughs> He said, you grab that shovel and you start digging a little deeper. But eventually, eventually you have to get out of the hole. Now I understand the natural response and the natural instinct is to grab a shovel and dig a little deeper and make the hole deeper and fall in a little bit deeper. And try to cover yourself up and protect yourself from all the damages. But eventually we have to get out of the hole. This man was afraid. He went and hid his talents. And he comes back and he says, here's what you gave me. He dug his hole, went a little deeper and stayed in it. His Lord answered and said to him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away, even that which he hath and the judgment of this digging the hole and digging it a little deeper and doing nothing and cast you the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When we're fighting a battle, brethren, and we're fighting a spiritual battle, the battle of lost souls and the battle for souls, and the only person, the only one that can save is Jesus and we're digging a hole Romans 8:15 says you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out abba father my daughter and son in law Traveled to two continents to adopt children. They adopted two girls from China, babies, uh, being babies three, four, five years old, both of them with Down syndrome. They adopted a little girl from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, the most dangerous place in the world for a woman. Those girls did not have a chance of any kind of life whatsoever. But they were adopted. I didn't have any chance for life. None. My Heavenly Father adopted me. And now I've become a child of the king. I had to heed his commands. I had to come. But if I'm a child of the king, the king of most high, then I need to give reverence to him and I don't need to fear. Those little girls with my daughter and son-in-law, they're not afraid. They don't live in fear of a a warlord coming into our community and taking over and killing and raping the children and the and and the, the women. They don't fear that. They have they have hope. There are many people today that are living in fear because they don't have the Father. And they have no hope. And that's who I want to introduce you to this evening. Someone who can shelter you and can give you hope for tomorrow. If you'll hold him in awe and reverence and hold him as God and realize that his commandments are as true today as they were 2,000, 6,000 years ago. And when you have been adopted into the kingdom of God and you've been placed there through the purchase of Jesus Christ that he made for us on the cross, you too can be a child and you can live in victory because you know the Father and you have parentage in heaven. I was talking to the young men today in a study and I told them about a time when I was 12 years old that I, uh, after working I tried to go swimming. What I did not tell you is when at that 12 year old time and I I went to this creek with this other group of older boys and we all stepped off into the creek and I went in up to here. The water was just as clean and just as clear and I was into there and then I was on my tiptoes because I didn't know how to swim. I didn't know how to swim because the only time I ever got to go swimming is my daddy would take us to the lake on the 4th of July and he would let, a, let us kids paddle around a little bit. Only time I ever saw him in a bathing suit in my life was on the 4th of July. <laughs> and we'd go there and he'd let us paddle around a little bit and then he'd try to teach me how to swim. I was afraid. I was afraid of the water. I gave reverence to the water. I'd paddle around, and then he'd say, "Let's do this, Mark. I'm going to hold you, and I want you to relax, and I want you to just lay back, and I'm going to and you can float on this water, because if you just if you just relax and trust me. Now I knew my daddy was not going to let me drown. (laughs) I had the most difficult time with that. I knew he wasn't going to let me drown. He was my daddy. And eventually I learned how to relax and trust my daddy and trust that water to float me. Something that could have taken my life, but I knew I was in the hands of my dad. I knew I was in the hands of my father. And he loved me and he cared for me. If you're not in the hands of God tonight, You have every reason in the world to be alarmed. You have every reason in the world to be disturbed over the future. You have every reason in the world if you're not in the hands of God. If you're in the hands of God, I want to tell you, He will not let you down. He is faithful and He's just. And He's true. And He commands you. The commandments are simple and they're not grievous to be born. Jesus commands you to come to him. Come unto me. We don't call you to anybody else other than Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus. Come unto me, all you that labored or heavy laden. Come to him. Allow yourself to be taken and held in his arms. To have confidence for tomorrow and a victory of living the Christian life because you know who holds you. And as the song says, I don't know what, ho- what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. And if you, don't, if you could know him, you could have a life of victory and a wonderful expectation for the future because you have a father and an adoption. He commands you to come to repent of your sins. To make a confession, and we've heard that tonight, or this week, we've heard it two times, three times, no, twice, excuse me. We've had two young people come forward and make a confession and stand before an audience that says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What is that doing? That is showing reverence and awe. I believe that Jesus is God, and I'm going to reverence Him as God. And I make that confession before men. And the scripture says that if we will confess him before men, he will confess us before his Father. We repent and change of our ways. Make a confession of faith. We're serving now, God. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Our sins will be remitted when we follow through in that action of Jesus Christ Death, burial, and resurrection, and raised to walk in a new life. What's a new life? Well, it's a life of being in the family of God. It's a life of being in the hands. And and you can trust God. I believe the writer of Hebrews, when he tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight, I believe that's exactly what he's talking about. We can trust him. If you're here this evening and you need baptism, we want to help you. We want you to know this Jesus. We want you to know the Father. If you're here this evening and your life has been one that maybe you've been reverencing the things that you shouldn't reverence, now you want this body of believers to help you with that by praying for you. For the forgiveness of your sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us if we'll come to him. Our invitation for you is to come and take a seat on the front. There'll be someone to help you and to assist you. Come, it's together we stand and sing.